Hello, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week you know, we're delving into some curious doings in the league, as many of the preseason favorites for the Champions League right now are finding themselves on the outside looking in. With me this week, as so often for our investigations, is Nick Mildog. I'm Nick. Hi there. Yeah, I mean, right now we've got both Leverkusen, Gladbach, and Dortmund on the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds crazy. It's, it sounds a bit like, you know, aliens landing in Hahn just outside of Wuppertal. And Horst Seehofer, the Minister of the Interior, not being able to respond to that crisis because he's stuck in the cantina of the Bundestag because it's schnitzel day and Horst loves a good schnitzel. Oh, he doesn't love a good schnitzel. I mean, I don't find myself having a lot in common with Horst Seehofer. Usually, but this time I'll make an exception. <laughs> that and a bit of wheat beer. You're there. <laughs> You'll be best friends with Horst. <laughs> All right, this week we are going to be looking at uh, those new faces in the top four. Uh, also, uh, look at some of the slight movement going on in the race to beat the drop. Some some interesting results happened down there. As well as all the biggest last-minute transfers. Plus, you know, a lot more, of course. Right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 19. And I really think maybe the, the story of this match day, we kind of teased it at the top about, um, you know, new faces in the top four, some of the old, uh, you know, familiar faces not quite there. But also there is something to be said for a certain second place team sort of burnishing their, uh, you know, second fiddle. Uh, credentials, let's just say. I mean, and, and in the Bundesliga, that, that's not a bad thing. You're, you're behind a, a super duper club uh, in Bayern Munich. I think Leipzig's win this weekend, 1 0 win over Bayer Leverkusen, meant a lot for them. This was a big statement in, in my book. They defended their home turf against a very good uh, team, although maybe not a really informed team. Leaving that aside, you know, Christopher Nkunku, he struck early in the second half, which turned out to be all that it took to get that win, to keep them in second place. But, you know, the, the thing I want to zoom in here uh, is this this was Leipzig's first win over a top four side this season or, or a top six side or, you know, Spitzenmannschaft, whatever you, way you want to look at this. Um, how is it that RB got this win where they, you know, they – fell short again and again earlier this season. I think in this particular match, it all came down to a moment of individual brilliance. Because when you watch that goal of Nkunku, he is sort of just firing off a shot. And it's sort of like a hopeless position. There are two or three defenders that are ready to block the shot. But once he get that, gets that block, he has some two really subtle, great touches that sort of takes out three or four players. And he gets to finish off the move that basically didn't look on just... 10 seconds ago and you know defending yourself against such individual quality is always difficult uh Bayer Leverkusen obviously didn't succeed in doing so in that particular situation but for the rest of the match yes Leipzig had more chances better chances but it wasn't really the sort of affair where you would say well RB looked like they should have gone on to win three or four nil it was it was a tight match with uh, Leverkusen probably the worst side but you know in the end it, it was just individual brilliance in one moment that really made the difference here. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because uh, one of the things that I think um, really stands out about RB Leipzig and has done for for a number of years as they have sort of added and subtracted pieces since being in the Bundesliga is that you know the way that this team is constructed both in the period when you know they had other coaches when they when Ralf Rangnick was in charge either coaching or just in the sporting director role there's always been a sense that this team is constructed to be a sort of plug and play uh, team where like, you know, one guy's going to step up one week and, you know, the next week he's not even going to play, maybe not in the squad or he's going to come in for 10 minutes and the train rolls on, you know, no matter who's playing. And, and to have a win like this, they were, as you say, and I think you're right, dependent on a sort of moment of brilliance by a player who, you know, has a little something extra. I don't know if there might there be a lesson there for uh, RB Leipzig that not not only is is the idea that you know constant squad rotation you know not always productive for you know cohesion in a team but also against the very best teams you know you really have to sort of be careful and play those guys who have a, a moment of magic in them instead of just being a, a well above average player. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely off base here, but. I think it's difficult for any sort of Leipzig coach or coach of any any top four side. I mean, Bayern, for instance, they don't rotate as much this season as Leipzig have done, I think. But I think when you, when you have so many good players at hand and you want to keep everybody happy and you want to have morale within the squad, you are sort of forced to make some changes from match to match anyways. So having the same starting lineup on close to that each and every week is going to always going to be difficult but at the same time when you have so much quality on hand you are probably also going to be tempted to make changes in within matches earlier than other coaches would do because you know teams like i, I don't know Werder, Mainz or you know those sides from the bottom half of the table when they have one or two of these players that can stand for a moment of individual brilliance they are allowed to stay on for 90 minutes each and every match here, if you know Nkunku hasn't had produced a moment of brilliance or hasn't really had the best of matches, he's probably off after 45, which in turn could you know uh, rob him of that moment of individual brilliance that just happened after the kickoff in the second half. Sure, let's let's talk a little bit about Leverkusen. I mean, I, I was kind of bigging them up going into this segment, talking about them as being you know. A Spitzenmannschaft, or you know, a top team, as as you would would say it in German. But let's be honest here: this has not been a top team for the last month or so. I mean, they were unbeaten and top of the league going into that game against Bayern Munich on match day thirteen. That was almost, but not quite, a one-one draw against Bayern. Famously, they gave up that uh, you know late injury time winner uh, after uh, Jonasen Taz sort of screw up, let's just say. And ever since that game where they sort of blew the chance to sort of uh, uh, defend their 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 space at the top, they have been pretty terrible. Uh, they have just one win and one draw since then. What is going on? How have they collapsed in this way? Why have they collapsed in this way? Is there any even halfway easy explanation here? Well, I think when you look at the schedule they've had during those last seven weeks with Bayern at the start and then having teams like RB, Wolfsburg, Dortmund, which they who they won against, by the way. But, you know, I mean, 
Union Berlin, who who haven't been slouches either this season. So it's probably the toughest period in their schedule, which is one explanation. The other explanation is that there have been injuries, and uh, I was on the Neverkusen podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, they were sort of explaining to me, well, Peter Bosch could only make a couple of changes during that match because he his bench wasn't basically deep enough. Uh, Karen Bellarabi, for instance, is still out with injury. They have brought in a couple of new uh, signings during the transfer window, I think. Frimpong from Celtic and Demarai from, from Leicester City. Um, so they, ha- they have strengthened their attack, uh, which, you know, has sort of been a headache for Peter Bosch working that out during those last few weeks because they have been looking not necessarily bad in defense uh, on many occasions, but they've been looking out of it in attack. They haven't really produced the same amount of chances and the same quality of chances that they were producing, you know, eight or nine weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe a case of all of us thinking maybe a little too highly of Leverkusen to start the season. I, I, I do think that there was something there in terms of... I don't know. One of the things that really stood out and still stands out, to be honest, I mean, this is a, still a team. You look at this, just the pure numbers of their defending and, you know, obviously the knock on Peter Bosch teams, whether they're, you know, Ajax, Dortmund or Leverkusen for years had been that they were not very solid at the back. That has been completely cleared up. So I, maybe we just got all kind of sucked in by the idea that maybe uh, this was this was a different form of Leverkusen because they weren't, you know, looking a little bit hell for leather. But it's certainly been a worrying turnaround. It has, it has. And, you know, I mean, all that really helps now is putting three points after three points on the board and, you know, see where, where it takes Leverkusen because obviously they're now... In, entrenched in, in, in a dogfight for, for one of those Champions League spaces because now there's Eintracht Frankfurt suddenly there. They haven't been losing in ages and they are steamrolling over any opposition right now. Borussia Dortmund are sort of topsy-turvy but then you count, count them out and hey, Borussia Mönchengladbach still undefeated in 2021 so uh, it's going to be a tough ride for them. Okay, I don't want to go, you know, overboard in praising uh, RB Leipzig for for winning this game. It's obviously a great win for them, and, and great for them to sort of beat beat a top team. But nonetheless, uh, they are still seven points back of Bayern. Bayern, you know, they they flipped the script on <laughs> on Hoffenheim this this weekend. Hoffenheim, you know, of course, beat them four one on match day two earlier this season. They were, you know. For one losers this time to Bayern. I don't want to like ring too many alarm bells because yes, Hoffenheim played okay in this game. Lots of teams end up getting beaten fairly badly by Bayern, bigger on the score sheet than maybe uh, in the run of play. You know, but Bayern had two very quick bursts of scoring in this game. Uh, Jerome Boateng and David Alaba with uh, with a goal apiece in 11 minutes. In, in the first half, and then, you know, Robert Lewandowski and Serge Gnabry getting two more goals in the second half and within six minutes of each other. So, you know, I don't know how you see this, but I don't think that this is a result that should drive Sebastian Honus up the wall. I think that this is just one that you have to take on the chin and move on from. Yeah, losing against Bayern München on the road is something that any team almost expects to do. Of course, everybody wants to win there, but uh, nobody really ever does, seemingly. And uh, But listen, I mean, the different situations between the match in the Hinrunde and this match, because since then, Hoffenheim have had 10 COVID cases, which has meant that the club basically has had great difficulties in terms of how it can conduct its training sessions. Uh, the club has 
at times had up to 10 players out in injury as well. And that has been ongoing for most of the season. And add to that that they are in the Europa League, which has meant eight midweek matches between October and December, whilst the other Bundesliga sides that are down there in the table with them, uh, in the in the you know lower half of the table, they haven't had that pressure. They have actually had one to two midweek matches, depending on how far they've gotten along in the cup. So once you sort of paint that picture, and um, you actually think, well, Hoffenheim haven't done terribly, given all the hurdles they've had to face so far this season they're through in Europe they're you know and in the Bundesliga they've sort of stabilized over the last few weeks and a 4-1 loss against Bayern München it's it's not the end of the world is it no no I, I think I think maybe the position that they're in this season this season that has not really gone particularly according to plan just in, in terms of like results cumulatively I mean there was a point where Hoffenheim were, you know, down in what fourteenth place or something along those lines. They, they're they're a little better than they were. I mean, they're level on points with Bremen and Augsburg. They're not in, you know, acute relegation danger, but they definitely are still wanting to pick up every single point they can. It's just maybe not going to happen uh, against teams like Bayern at the moment. A couple of interesting things. I, I think Hoffenheim did make some moves. Transfer-wise, to wrap things up, they did. Sebastian Jonas, of course, was the former, um, you know, Bayern Zwei, the Bayern, you know, under-23 team coach. So he knows Bayern's younger players quite well. They have loaned out uh, Chris Richards, you know, USA, U.S. men's national team, center back slash right back. And, and you know, he's, he's a known quantity to Hoffenheim's coach. And it looks to me like that's probably a good move for him. I, I hope it's a good move for Hoffenheim. I, I I know the people at Bayern and a lot of people, USMNT type observers, think a lot of him. And, I, and, and it looks like to me, with all the injury problems and, and other problems at Hoffenheim this season, he might actually get to play. I mean, Benjamin Hübner, Armin Bicakcic, and uh, Kevin Apaguma have all had you know injury issues this season. It, they, they need a center back, so it's probably good for him. Yes, I, I would assume so. And uh, I mean, the, the connection between Hernes and... Uh Chris Richards goes even back further. I mean, I, I saw Chris Richards uh, play in an under-19 Bundesliga match away to Nuremberg, which, by the way, was uh, on Talking Football Extra, which you can find if you join our Patreon page. And he was actually playing in the same side with, uh, with a certain Joshua Zirkze, who uh, back then had scored three goals for the Bayern under-23 side. And the next day, he was actually subbed on to score the winning goal for that Nuremberg match. Um, but there's uh, neither here nor there. But yeah, Richards, absolutely t- tremendous player. And Sebastian Hunes knows him well from back in those days even. And uh, I'm sure he's the sort of signing that he wanted to get. And additionally, hey, Bayern have good experience loaning players to Hoffenheim. David Alaba has spent a year there after all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it seems like, and this is this is pretty natural stuff for, for players who come up through the Bayern youth system. You know, if you're very lucky, you get to break into the side and you get to stay there. That is definitely the exception rather than the rule. I, I would think, even though this doesn't necessarily look, at least as it's being characterized, by either side as a, a deal with, you know, a loan with a prelude toward purchase, but that could very well happen. Bayern seem to have been sort of clearing the decks a little bit. You know, the aforementioned Joshua Zirkze is is off to uh, Parma Calcio, and there is a, a purchase clause in that deal, uh, despite it being a loan at present. 
oddly Sarpreet Singh, who, you know, was off at uh, Nuremberg, the aforementioned <laughs> Nuremberg, has come back to Bayern, where I really can't foresee him, him getting any game time. He's probably going to have to face the music pretty soon. Uh, Hoffenheim, by the way, they also bought uh, a French player, or a player out of the French league anyway. This is uh, Jorginho Ruta. So, you know, Hoffenheim tends to, I would say maybe their, their winter purchases are ones that are a little bit more with the eye toward the future rather than immediate help. I mean, that that in, in a lot of ways is, is uh, a credit to that team and how they operate. They don't they don't get into panic buy situations very often or haven't for the last few years. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what Chris Richards can do because, you know, he was not given a lot of game time, let's face it, by uh, Hansi Flick. He he, you know, had that one start against Hertha and uh, a, a couple of other uh, substitution ex- uh, appearances, but I think he has a good chance to play quite a lot for Hoffenheim. Yeah, me too. I mean, by the way, um and, and this is something I've been I've been thinking about. Um Oh, this match day, um, Thomas Muller said, I think it was even before the match day, is said that he wants Jerome Boateng to stay at Bayern, and Bayern are now saying that they're open to that possibility. And at the same time, we've got Sami Kadira coming back to the Bundesliga, and he's sort of presented as the signing that could potentially turn things around for Hertha. I mean, are is the Bundesliga getting too old? Are we having a youth problem in terms of the production of German players? Because Oliver Bierhoff, uh, the the you know the the Mädchen für alles, as the Germans would say, the goal for everything at the, the national team, he said that we are starting to have a product in terms of talent production. You know, I, I would hesitate to say that. I mean. Obviously, Germany is a country that has seen a lot of success in the international game in terms of titles, in terms of, you know, very few tournaments where the, 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 the team shows up and it is terrible. I mean, it's, it's happened a few times. It happens about once every, I don't know, 15, 20 years or so. But, you know, I think there's also something to be said that, like, you can't have an absolute like flood, a glut of of great young players all the time. I, I feel like Germany kind of went through a period where it was just happening and happening and happening and happening. And if there's a bit of a dip in that at the moment, I would agree, uh, but maybe there is. Maybe that's not a really big deal. I mean, there's still there's still some really really exceptional guys. I mean, you know, uh, Florian Wirtz for for Leverkusen is spectacular. I mean, it's already looking like he's, you know, has the chance to eclipse his predecessor, Kai Havertz. Um, uh, you know, Jamal Musiala, I think, uh, is is edging ever more toward Germany. The longer he stays in Germany, the longer he plays in Germany, the longer he, um, you know, realizes that uh, there's some really, really good wingers for England who he might not get past in uh, the next several years. Maybe that's where he needs to be. I mean, I kind of feel like in any international team, it's great when you can be, you know, top to bottom, amazing, you know, two or three players deep at every position. But there's plenty of teams who do very, very good things at tournaments who who don't have that kind of talent. I mean, look, you know, Croatia made it to the final of the last World Cup and like they weren't stacked at every position, even, even the guys on the pitch. It wasn't like that. So you don't have to be everything to everybody. I think one problem that has been identified in the past, though, and and quite rightly so, is the fact that 
We talked about that individual moment of brilliance by Nkunku and, you know, that sort of instinct and that sort of attitude to go for it and that sort of, yeah, I'm going to take on two or three men and go for a dribble and just go for it. That has sort of been drowned in, in the German youth academies by players just relying too much on tactical setups. And instead of, you know, going for that one moment for glo- of glory, they're going for the next pass and the next pass and the next pass. And I think that's sort of been problematic. And you can sort of spot that in those guys who are coming through at the moment. And uh, I mean, yes, of course, obviously you cannot have the same, same sort of situation that you had like 10 or 12 years ago when you had sort of like Mario Götze, Julian Drexler, you know, all these guys coming coming through at the same time. But at the same time, it's sort of it's sort of disheartening to see that when you see German players on the pitch now, I mean, like Burkhardt for Mainz, yes, he's a good player, but oh my, uh, he's he's not really that sort of player that sets the world alight, is he? No, but uh, that's really tough to say. I mean, uh, I might be too harsh he, on him. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I like him. He's 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 one of the most fun things about watching a, a, a club like Mainz. But there's also something to be said that, you know, maybe he's not going to show his true colors until he gets into a better team. That's you know, true. To be fair. Like, if you put him if you put him into the Gladbach side or you put him, you know, on Leverkusen, um, <laughs> maybe he looks really good yeah, I mean, uh, compared to a player who shows flash. relegation is tough. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, that is my digression for, for, for this podcast. I like it. I, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, and we'll talk more about uh, old Sami Kadir in, in a moment because that's a real uh, wild card of a move. But let's 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 stick around and talk about uh, other other Spitzenmannschaften or, or alleged teams of that nature. Borussia Dortmund, they were 3-1 winners over uh, Augsburg. That's, of course, a really nice result for them. That was, I think, their first victory since match day 15. And, and, you know, there is good news. They took on a mid-table side uh, who scored first in the game, and they ended up beating them fairly easily. That's something that Dortmund don't always manage. The bad is, yes, of course, they did let uh, Augsburg score first, and they failed to convert another penalty. This is their third of their four penalties this season. Uh, this time it was uh, your boy, uh, Erling Braut Holland. Okay, before we get on to talk, talk about that bad stuff, let's talk about the good stuff. Um what positives do you see from this game, Nick? Well, I think the fact that Dalton picked themselves up and that they sort of showed self-confidence and believe that they actually can just create chance after chance after chance and that didn't. You know, I mean, when they've sort of gone behind in some matches um, and they've sort of dominated possession and dominated play, they always seem to be that the last pass went awry or the last pass was not played with enough precision and there seemed to be sort of a hectic... Uh, and unease about the side that wasn't, you know, didn't didn't get into them this time around. And, um, you know, despite missing a penalty, because that, that was crucial, because that penalty was missed when Augsburg was still in the lead. So at that point, you could have thought, ah, oh, it's not our day. Here we go again. Erling Haaland, who hasn't, hasn't missed a single penalty in his career before Saturday... He missed a penalty, and he, he's been Mr. Secure from the penalty spot throughout his entire professional career. So when those things didn't get to the Dalton players, and they just started uh, you know, scoring from the chances they needed to score from, that was actually a good result. You know, beyond them picking themselves up after a pretty 
iffy patch beyond, you know, not getting sucked into a, a narrative that might have gone into their heads about missing a penalty and, and staying one nil down. This is also just big in terms of the points. Um, they are now, you know, we, we, we mentioned it earlier, they're out of the top four at the moment, but they are knocking on the door. They're just a, a point back. How important, just looking ahead, is the, you know, Champions League qualification for Dortmund? We all know it's important, but what, might, what concrete things could happen? If, if they end up in fifth or sixth? Well, they could lose a couple more players than they would like to. Yeah. And, I mean, Holland has said that he's going to stay during the summer, but he might reconsider that when, you know, I don't know, Real Madrid comes running along saying, well, you know, that Benzema guy, he's dragging on in years, Erling, and, you know, you're not playing any Champions League football this fall. Would you like to change that? And he might tend to say, yes, I, I quite would like to do that. That might be one of the consequences. And secondly, I mean, economically speaking, there's a huge gap between the Europa League and the Champions League. And, um, you know, once Real Madrid or any other team with a lot of with deep pockets comes along saying, well, we want to sign player X, Y or Z, Dortmund probably have to say yes, because, well, you know, there's that gap in that gap in money they have to make up because right now they have a Champions League squad on Champions League wages. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they would probably risk losing a couple of players who they don't want to uh, lose. And also, they are able to sell themselves to the sort of young guys who are up-and-comers. I mean, guys who, you know, in the past were in, in Holland's situation or, you know, were in uh, Gio Reyna's situation who sort of want to sort of put their foothold into, you know, a top five league. Dortmund is sort of like the best of both worlds and that it's like it's a place where you can get playing time because there's sort of a culture of development there. But you can also get playing time in the Champions League. You can't sell that anymore if you're not in the Champions League. You become just another sort of second tier club. And that's you know, that, that's that's not where you want to be. <laughs> no, and I mean, with COVID still still being on everybody's minds, um, you cannot really sell that image of the yellow wall either because, hey, it's empty. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're we're all having trouble with that selling selling ourselves on, on <laughs> with just how much fun live football is at the moment. But well, let's not wallow in these facts for too long. Let's. Talk about, you know, another game that probably would have had a lot more uh, frisson. Union Berlin versus uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Union, of course, famously well supported at their small but, you know, super passionate ground. This was a 1-1 draw from sort of the, where these two teams are in the table. I guess that's probably going according to plan. Gladbach, they, they, they hung on to their unbeaten status in this new year uh, with this result, but they really were made to work for it by, uh, by Union. This was, in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of the good qualities of the old Union, let's just say. Robin Knocha uh, scored <laughs> the platonic ideal of an Union goal, uh, a free kick, header, in off the post. Uh, but of course, it was it was canceled out by Alisson Playa's second half strike. I really think that this this was a really good result for Union. They had you know gotten a couple of defeats in the last two match days, uh, and to get a draw, even even at home uh, against a, a side as good as Gladbach, uh, I think is good. Do you agree? And and do you, how do you reckon Gladbach are going to view this result? I don't think Gladbach are too fast about just getting a draw. I mean, it was a 
hard fought affair. Uh, both defensive lines uh, had a good day at the office. There wasn't really a lot of great chances. I mean, as the XG shows you, because Union's XG was 0.6.9, whilst Gladbach managed to get all the way up to 0.58. I mean, to, to put that into context, one good chance uh, can get you an XG of 0.4, 0.5. Penalty gives you an XG of 0.8, roughly. So, um, I mean, the quality of chances that were produced throughout those 90 minutes weren't really brilliant on either side. And uh, as to your point, Union's goal was scored from a header. There's actually the 10th goal uh, of a header for Union this season. And uh, only Bayern has as many goals from headers this season. I mean, Union, they are really strong in the air. And it's it's surprising to see that time and time again, it, the same thing happens again. Everybody knows how strong they are in the air and how good that set-piece delivery is. But, hey, even the top teams in the league simply can't defend against that this season and yeah as i said for gladbach it's it's a point gathered at a notoriously tough place to come to against a team that has been strong and has proven to be a tough nut to crack for many good teams so getting a point here is sort of a vital might prove a vital step uh, towards on, on the road towards the champions league places yeah absolutely absolutely i think you know I mentioned before that Dortmund are just a point off of the top four. That's also true of Leverkusen. That's also true of Gladbach. So, you know, Gladbach keeping it within, you know, very close touching distance of of the Champions League spots is is a big deal. All right. uh, We're going to go away for a moment. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, the the teams who have taken uh, those three teams uh, spots up in the upper reaches of the table and much more. Okay, here's part two of Talking Foosball. We're going to start off with uh, some of the action down at the very bottom of the table. Well, not the very bottom, but close to the very bottom. Cologne and Bielefeld. These are two teams who were sort of trading the uh, relegation playoff spot uh, between themselves in the past few weeks. Uh, Cologne now have an advantage there. They are on 18 points, vaulting past both Bielefeld and Hertha with this result. You know, 3-1-1 over Bielefeld. Marius Wolf was the hero on the day of first half brace. Kind of made it really hard for Bielefeld. This is not a team who likes to play from behind, especially not 2-0 behind after half an hour. You know, this was probably something that you know, but I'm going to put it in in, in some uh, odd terms. I mean, this was the first home win for Cologne since COVID-19 was just a glint in the WHO's. Ah, this was it feels like another world oh, those those days those days yes when we were you know go out drink beer with our friends and uh, if somebody licked our face it wasn't supposed to be crime <laughs> um what, what, are the, what are, you know what are all those countries where they kiss each other on the cheek all the time doing? i guess that's like i had to knock that off yeah i mean tough times for the french eh <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, was certainly a uh, was certainly a good good win for for Columbus. Um The game was a lot more open during the first few minutes, but Cologne proved to be the more lethal side. And um, Marius Wolf was actually the player on the longest streaks of shot without having scored a goal in the Bundesliga before this match. He changed that. I mean, he the first one was a simple tap, and the other one was actually was more difficult to take than it looks. That that volley. So it was two one. 
go through good positioning, one go through good technique, and hey presto, Cologne were two tunnel up, and um, Bielefeld never really looked like getting back into that, and uh, it allowed it allowed Marcus Giskel to to actually go out with a bit lower shoulders in in the second half because obviously uh, if he if they'd lost this match, you would have wondered what might have happened to his position at the club. Sure. Sure. I feel like uh, we've been talking about Marcos Gisdol and, and you know, how close he is to uh, being out of a job for a while, but um, things have not gotten bad enough. Um, a couple of moves that Cologne made uh, as, as the transfer window uh, was getting toward uh, closed, you know, I think Max Meyer being being one that uh, I think a lot of eyes are on considering his history in the Bundesliga. He only made it in for a very brief uh, cameo appearance at the end, end of this game. But Emmanuel Dennis, who came in from uh, Club Brugge, he started. What do you think of him? Yeah, I think he showed a lot of potential. I mean, you could see that he's still a little bit unsure. Uh, sometimes the end product is just missing because he shows some really promising signs, but then there's a touch that doesn't quite isn't quite right, or then sees the ball running out of play or something, or is just a tad too late at playing the ball to the to to one of his teammates. But um, all in all, I think it was a decent debut, and it, it just shows that if you give the guy three or four more weeks he might actually turn into quite a good striker for for Köln and uh, obviously they certainly have a lot of belief in him given that they've actually shipped out Anthony Modeste to Saint-Étienne in France. Oh yeah well you know he was a big contributor this season uh, old Anthony I'm, I, I, he's obviously got a huge history at that club so they probably still have some sentimental feelings for him but uh, yeah his his return to Cologne has, has not gone that great so Maybe things will turn around for him in, in green and white. Let's move on and let's talk about your boys, about Werder Bremen. They were at home to Schalke, you know, I guess looking at it from the perspective that uh, any time that you play Schalke at home, you hope to pick up three points. They did not. It was a 1-1 draw. What sort of signs did you see uh, coming out of these two teams moving forward, having watched this game, as I'm sure you did? Well, I think it was surprising to see that Werder actually was uh, forced deep into their own half in the first 45 minutes of the match, and Schalke quite deservedly taking the the lead through Omar Mazzarell. And at that point, you thought, oh, well, look, Christian Gross getting Schalke into shape, but hey, Florian Kofeld made three changes at halftime, bringing on uh, Rashica and Mervold, among among other players. And that completely changed the course of the game, and Schalke didn't produce any more shots in the second half. Bremen had enough good chances to get the win here, and they, they looked like they did in extra time, but alas, uh, VAR ruled the goal out because of an offside position that was actually quite obvious, which uh, you know was actually quite quite amazing to see that the linesman didn't pick up on that. But, and uh, it was even more amazing that it took VAR almost one and a half minutes to pick up on that too, because you don't need one of those freaky lines to see is his toe there when the player is three meters ahead of play. But anyways, be that as that may. Um, so, I mean, for Bremen, it was probably two points lost. For Schalke, it was not really a good day either, as, you know, some of the teams ahead of them in the table won. So the distance to safety is getting bigger because now it's it's nine points now that's three wins and you know Schalke have got quite a few difficult sides coming up in the next few weeks because um, I mean you don't you don't necessarily see them 
taking points against sides like uh, Leipzig, Union, Dortmund, Stuttgart. And that's their next four matches before they take on Mainz, which, uh, you know, at best for them is uh, pretty much a relegation six-pointer. At worst for them, both of these teams might actually be so far off the pace that it's done and dusted for them. Yeah, interestingly, you know, Schalke were pretty pretty active on the transfer market, and I, I don't necessarily see that purely as something that they're doing to save their skins from relegation. I think in some ways this might have more to do with uh, selling at an opportune time. Uh, I mean, Ozon Kabak, uh, you know, has been has been sold to Liverpool. Liverpool, of course, were in, in pretty pretty strong need of of another defender and they're bringing in uh Shkodran Mustafi apparently on a free who uh, you know he, he hasn't 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 really featured much for for Arsenal lately so they they sort of tore up his contract and allowed him allowed him to go back to Germany Matthew Hoppy signed to uh, a long-term professional deal uh I, that seems to me to be uh, a move and I don't mean to say this in any way to malign him because you know he's done some pretty amazing stuff this season but he's a guy who i think just is is at a point in his career just needs reps he needs to be playing for a team who wants to play him week in and week out and being relegated is not going to change that one way or the other i think um you know there's no for his long-term future spending a season or two in the zweite liga is not a big deal uh he's probably not that expensive so I, i can see what they're doing there yeah, absolutely. I mean, those moves, uh, you know, so some of these moves are just trying to save the skin, the skin as best as possible. I mean, they brought in William on a loan deal from Wolfsburg as well to plug that gap on on right back. Uh, Mustafi, a national former national team player with twenty caps to his name, should bring in a, a decent amount of quality and be a decent enough replacement for Kabak. So not giving that, you know, staying in the league up that easily. So, but. On the same on <laughs> on the other hand side, they're also thinking of okay, if we go down, what is the future in the Bundesliga two going to look like? Because obviously they have to consider that right now. Yeah, let's talk about another team who uh, is is also not in a very comfortable position. Better off than Schalke. They're not nine points back from safety. They're seven points back. That's Mites. They were defeated two nil by Falf uh, Bay Stuttgart in this uh, in this match day. Definitely a great win for Stuttgart, getting sort of things back on track there. But and I've said it a bunch of times this season already. But Silas Wamegatuka, man, <laughs> that guy, <laughs> that guy is capable of a lot. I really think that he has an amazing future in this game. I hope, I hope Stuttgart can hang on to him for for another year or two because he's a lot of fun. He is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at that side and you see exceptional players like him. Uh, Gonzalez is now coming through. I think the crosses put in by Zosa this season have been absolutely amazing. And you see these guys combining and you see the fact that they are actually one of the teams producing the most goals out of open play in the Bundesliga. They actually don't rely heavily on set pieces. They create, and I think only Bayern creates more goals out of open play than they do at the moment, which tells you a lot. I mean, the basics of the attacking movement are right. Yes, they have had problems in defense, from time to time, which can be expected from such a young side. But all things considered, what they have here is the makings of a side that could qualify for a Europa League finish, if not next season, the following season, provided that the most key pieces of the jigsaw puzzle stay intact. 
And that is a big if in today's world of football. Agreed. Let's pass things off to the rescued from oblivion section. Um, and this is, I, I will admit that this is a bit unorthodox because it features teams who are a lot higher up the table than we often have here. But we're going to kind of explain what we're thinking here. This um, Here comes Reese Tigwell uh, to talk with me about Wolfsburg and their win over SA Freiburg. All right, Reese. What are what are we doing here in the rescued from oblivion section with a game featuring a team that has just gone into third place? I mean, can we really justify this choice that we've just made? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's good to talk about these two teams uh, every now and again, as as they don't get much airtime. I think there's very little interest in in either of them outside of their respective communities. But Wolfsburg today were were fantastic and they're now up just to third just three points off of Leipzig I think they thoroughly deserved their win Freiburg coming to the game having won six of their last Bundesliga games but, but they were really poor today Brooks opened the scoring an American man uh, in the first half and then who else but Weghorst to get the second and, and it was rounded off by Gerhardt in the latter stages of the second half. Yeah, I totally agree that this was a really nice performance from Wolfsburg today. They, they, you know, maybe were not pressing quite as hard in the second half as they, they did in the first, but they still looked under control to me. And it is interesting <laughs> to think about these, these clubs in terms of their, I don't know, reputations within Germany and within the Bundesliga. I mean, Freiburg is a lot of people sort of like, you know, pet team or, or second team or what have you, uh, because you know, let's let's face it. Christian Streich is an incredibly charismatic figure who has a lot of um, outspoken views on things that people have a lot of respect for, and, and they do play generally somewhat attractive football. If if you like, sort of pedal to the metal. Let, let's get things forward, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I like watching them, but Wolfsburg, like they, they seem to earn like a grudging respect now and again. I mean, you know, they won the league eleven years ago. They won the cup. You know. I don't know what six seven years ago now they had Kevin De Bruyne at one point, so they're they, they're not a team that has zero pedigree, but like it's not the team that really sort of attracts neutrals. Um, and and even in their playing style under Oliver Glasner, um, a lot of people their reputation has been like, well they're tough to play against. They you know they don't allow a lot of chances, but they don't have a lot going forward. But I mean. They're in third place now. They're, that's the best argument against all of that. Although you know. Defense can get you up that high sometimes. Are we selling them short in some way? Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument for that because defensively very stable from from the beginning of these days. They've only conceded 19 goals, which is the second best in the league alongside uh, Leverkusen. But I think now we're starting to see a, di- a different team under Carson this season because whilst they've, they've been hard to break down, They've got signings in. Uh, they bought in Lacroix this season um, from from Social. They've now starting to bring more of an attacking threat, um, particularly with Vekos, who, I mean, it's already scored thirteen goals this season. Um, he's now fourth in the scoring charts, and he scored almost half of his team's goals. Yeah, I mean, I guess if there is a counter argument to the idea that Wolfsburg have developed into something different than than a team that's tough to break down, but not much going forward, is that were Wout Weghorst to you know get hurt or heaven forbid lose form, although he doesn't seem to do that a lot. They would be shorn of a lot of quality going forward. I mean, they've scored 30 goals. Vickhorst has has scored 13 of them. You know, if you took those away, you'd be down in 
you know, Cologne, Schalke, Mites uh, territory in terms of goal scoring. So, you know, is there is there something to be said for them needing to, to, to cultivate something more than just uh, Wout Weichhorst banging in goals? Yeah, I think that's definitely a valid point. I think, as, as you mentioned, without vehicles, they've got, in terms of out-and-out attacking options, they've got Ginsek, um, they've got Jao Victor, and they've got the youngster Bielek. Um, but I think none of which could, could provide anything like the quality that vehicles can produce. They've got some great attacking players, uh, Stefan, Arnold, and, and uh, Brekolo, and, and players like that. But um, if vehicles was to get injured, then I think they could, quite easily slip down the table very fast. Well, let's see how far uh, Vout Vechors can take them. Um, I, he does have very broad shoulders, so um, I guess I guess we can just uh, hope that they uh, hold up. Let's think a little bit about Freiburg. Obviously, they've had a very nice season themselves. They're not quite uh, up at the lofty heights that they once were, nor as, as high as Wolfsburg did out now down in ninth. Nonetheless, this is a team that uh, is probably exceeding expectations, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, given the club's size and, and budget, I think just staying in the Bundesliga every season is, is, has to be their main target. And, and anything else is, is overachieving, really, which they always seem to do under, under Strike, who is, of course, the longest-serving coach in, in the Bundesliga. So I think we should also point out that this is a team that lost a number of key players in the summer. They lost Koch. Who obviously went to Leeds. They lost Val Schmidt, who went to Benfica, and uh, Schwalau, who's obviously at Hertha now. I just think of Schreik, who's obviously viewed as a savior and hero, and Freiburg is really doing some fantastic things still. It's coming up to ten years in charge now. Yeah, yeah, and and you know they. You just mentioned the teams uh, who have benefited from uh, Freiburg imports. Let's just say, I mean, you look at even at this game. Uh, against uh, Wolfsburg. I mean, Admir Mehmedi has a Freiburg history. Maximilian Philipp has a Freiburg history. I mean, it's tough to find a game uh, in the Bundesliga where there isn't at least one player who has played under Christian Streich. So productive uh, is is that uh, that club down there. What do you think they might need to take uh, a, another step? I mean, is this new stadium that they're working on, I think it's going to be ready for next season. Do you think it has any, any possibility of, of sort of helping them plant a firmer stake in the Bundesliga? I think it's definitely definitely the start of, uh, of progressing as a club because, of course, that's the stadium they had is, is one of the oldest in German football. Um, Many people describe, you know, it's one of the only grounds where at one side you can actually lean over and touch the opposition goalkeeper. That's how close you can get. And those grounds are few and far between now. They have obviously replaced those players that that have been lost. They brought in Santa Maria, um, who settled in well, and also uh, Emedin Demirovic, who coming from Alaves uh, in Spain. And a strike at the start of the season said that he didn't, think that Dimovic was actually going to be capable of playing at this level, um, but he, he certainly proved him wrong. And, and other than Dimovic, they've obviously got record goal scorer Paterson, but Paterson's obviously getting on now and uh, he's not going to be around forever. Yeah, yeah. I think he's still got a lot of gas in the tank, but uh, you're right. Every every player has an end to his career. All right. I, I think we've probably covered enough ground on these two teams. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of, you know, how 
I don't know, maybe how solidly Wolfsburg uh, have a grip on on a Champions League place. I mean, this year is very, very interesting in the Bundesliga in terms of uh, competition. Not so much at the moment for the top spot, but everything from second down to about sixth place that just seems like it, or even seventh place if you want to take uh, Gladbach into that. The pack just gets shuffled just about every week, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think Wolfsburg will, will be in a European place of some sort uh, come the end of the season. Whether that's Champions League or not, is I think we need to see how the coming weeks develop. But what Gladstone is doing is, is certainly giving them every chance of, of getting in the Champions League, especially with teams like Gladbach and, and Dortmund, who are perhaps not at the level that we expected them to be at. And Leverkusen, of course, who have deteriorated somewhat in recent weeks. Well, Reese, I, I think we've rescued this game from oblivion. And I think we've probably also made the argument that, you know, in terms of quality, it never deserved to be there. But uh, these clubs, they're, they're, they're not the brightest lights in the Bundesliga, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I mean, I look forward to, to being able to talk about them again one day, hopefully. Nice. Nice. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. I, I, I've got a lot of time for Wolfsburg this season. I think that, um, you know, they, they shouldn't have too big of a problem to qualify for Europe in some form or other. And I really think I have a lot of faith in this team that we're going to talk about now uh, as well, who have find themselves in the top four, uh, at least by a point at the moment. It's Eintracht Frankfurt. They uh, were 3-1 winners over Hertha at home this weekend. You know, it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster, as, as you might expect, uh, going, going, going up 1-0 in this game, as, as Hertha did, much, much to my delight. Uh, but it was not to last. Um, you know, Martin Hinteregger, Andre Silva, and finally, you know, whoever the hell took that bullshit penalty in the 93rd minute. What do you make of, of Eintracht's development over the last couple of months? I, I've i been high on them all season, even when the results weren't there. Uh, finally, you know, speaking of Spitzenmannschaft, because I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, partly it was on my mind because Adi Hütte, the coach of Eintracht, of course, many, many Coaches in this league are, are very reluctant to use that term, very reluctant to big up their teams, uh, especially, you know, there's sort of a pathology among coaches in the Bundesliga, considering the presence of Bayern Munich in this league. And nobody wants to sort of get too big for their own britches lest they uh, get knocked down uh, the very next week. But he said, right now, we are a Spitzenmannschaft. We're a top team. And I would totally agree. They... You know, their system's working. They have, you know, great production up front. They are getting goals uh, from from not just, you know, Andre Silva and Luka Jovic, but other places too. They don't give up a lot of great chances. This is this is a really good team. It is. It is. I mean, we, we talked about this a lot earlier in the season when I tended to say, look, look just at the XG. They've been underperforming in attack all season long. Whenever they, when they went on that run of draws that they had when they had four or five or six draws on on in, on a bounce they probably should have won three or four of those matches and if they had look at where they would have been in the table right about now oh yeah they'd be like second dude yeah they would and they've shown their true potential all season long that the only difference between now and back then is that now they're taking their chances and i mean football it's a it's a charmingly simple game at that because as long as you convert your chances you walk out the winner and now that they're doing that yeah sky is pretty much the limit um, i mean 
if there's any side that really could make a surprising run to the Champions League, and I wasn't on that page only two weeks ago, but now I'm sort of starting to reconsider what I said back then. I think, well, maybe, just maybe, Frankfurt are in with an outside chance of, you know, getting one of the, kicking one of the big boys or a couple of them out of that, out of the Champions League. Yep. We talked a lot about Hertha last week. We don't need to go on and on and on, or at least I don't. I mean, oof, how much? Well, can how can much? I say something? Can I say something? <laughs> of course. I, uh, I mean, um, it, it was great to see Rooney Arstein back in the Hertha girl. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He was, by the way, picked for the for the kicker. Yeah, team he was of the, the team of the week. So, oh, good old Rooney doesn't doesn't miss a beat. Doesn't miss a beat, and he he had some really four or five really vital saves during the first hour of the match and you know Hertha took the lead as we said but uh my word uh, they they should have been up before Hertha took the lead yeah yeah for sure I mean I think that certainly Hertha were fortunate to get into that lead and as you say <laughs> Rune Ashton was a big reason why they even had that opportunity but um I am encouraged by the fact that they kept Frankfurt from scoring as long as they did I mean I as I just said, I think Frankfurt are really good. Uh, and Hertha, unfortunately, have to play a lot of really good teams in the next few weeks, uh, which may uh, put a bit of a damper on the return of uh, Pal Dardai. But uh, nonetheless, I do think that there were some some positive signs in this game. And uh, I'm not completely depressed right now, which is pretty good when it comes to my feelings about Hertha this season. <laughs> Well, are you are you excited about the new signings? There are two new signings. That's true. There are two new signings. Come on. Yeah, I mean, Sami Kadira is a complete wild card. Um, he has played, I think, one cup match for Juventus over the last year and change, a year and a month or something like that, year and two months. I mean, I think it's it was December of 19, the last time he played in a league match for, for Juventus. So to say that he's out of playing shape is probably an understatement which is a bit worrisome considering uh there's not a long runway for him um <laughs> there's what you know uh 15 matches 16 matches whatever it is that they're remaining in this season you can't exactly play yourself into form there but like i kind of alluded to uh, a couple of pods ago like when you can get hold of players who have experience at a very, very high level, a high, much higher level than, than Hertha has ever really been at, because, you know, Real Madrid and Juventus are on a completely different planet than Hertha, I'm sure that there's going to be something that he brings to the table, even if he's not someone who goes 90 minutes over the next several months, game in and game out. When it comes to Nemanja uh, Radonjic, or, you know, I've... I've I, I know nothing about this guy. I, he, he plays for Olympique de Marseille. He's played for a bunch of other teams, which I find a little bit worrisome. You know, he's, I think he moved to Roma when he was like 16 and then got loaned out three separate times, has been on a permanent deal at Red Star, been on a permanent deal at, at uh, Marseille. Like, you know, a guy who whose career has gone that way, it's worrisome when, when you get hold of somebody like that. But, I mean, it's sort of part of the Italian football model that, you know, Italian sides, they, they sort of swoop up a lot of promising youngsters and then they just learn them out 
season in and season out and uh, you know some of some of these guys are basically tied to the same club six seven eight years and they've they've been around to six or seven eight different clubs during that time Uh, but i think what's what's worrying for herta is sort of the the squad planning of late or over the last couple of years when you know once they've got those millions and millions of euros into the bank account i don't think they spent them wisely because out of the starting lineup uh, against Eintracht, only Jarstein, Tornoriga, and Stark had been longer at the club since than since 2018. All the other guys have been pretty much. All of them have come in the last three transfer windows, and to sort of get such a new collection of players, and you know. These guys, then, you know, when you join a new team, you want to sort of come to a well, well-oiled machine and you want to just find your place in said machine. Once you've had too many different pieces that have to be puzzled together, you're having a problem. Or you might potentially face a problem. And, uh, I mean, it, it was probably just a case of, you know, a lot of big talk that got to the bosses' heads at the club and they wanted too much too soon, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, in that respect, I'm, I'm glad about Sami Kadira. I mean, I think from what I have seen of him with the German national team, with uh, the club sides that he's played for, he's been someone who really, really understands, um, you know, things like team chemistry, team leadership, understands how to bring stability into a team both on the pitch and off. He's not somebody who, who you know, even does things that, that some people rightly or wrongly perceive uh, as, as distractions. So I, I think that when it comes to bringing stability, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential for good there, even though I don't know if he's going to, if he's going to be a huge uh, upgrade on the pitch. I don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> we'll have to wait to see, but um, at least he gets his, he probably gets to his 100th cap in the Bundesliga. That He was one, one, one cap shy of that in Serie A. Okay, that was all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as usual, by Aidan Rantoul. Uh Really, you know, good, good to see you again in your uh, the loft of your house in, in Norway, uh, Nick. Yeah, good to see you in uh, what is turning more and more into a studio. But, you know, there, there is still some disturbance going on there in the background. But um, talking about the producer, we've, we've got an ace producer. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that Aiden does an as good a job as the producers of the upcoming Bayern Munich documentary which for Amazon, which is, by the way, produced by Bayern Munich themselves. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's not sell Aiden short here. I mean, I've, if you've ever watched any of those uh, Amazon documentaries, they all kind of have the feeling of uh, you know made by the club itself, and then you know handed over to Amazon on, on a silver platter. I'm, I'm talking. I'm, to- I'm talking. Uh, I'm talking about the sound editing, which is top notch in those you know yes. best sound editing there is in, in documentary world. But in terms of uh, the actual content, yeah, it's, it's pretty crap. I'll go along with you there. You know, it, it, that, that's our job, to be fair. You know, Aiden cleans up our messes. We make the messes, right? You can follow Nick on Twitter at Normusings. You can follow me, of course, at Mr. Matt Herman and the pod uh, at Talking Foosball. Just another reminder, we do have tons of great content over on our Patreon page. We have, you know, every match day, uh, historic match day moments. Mini pod gets put up. We've uh, done tons of deep dives where we focus in on, on one club at a time. If you feel like spending uh, just a few bucks, 
bucks, a few quid, a few euros, whatever, uh, a month. You would help us out quite a lot by uh, signing up over there. Uh, and, you know, beyond that, you can really help us just by subscribing to the pod, rating the pod, telling a friend about the pod. Bis zum nächsten Mal.